It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Are your dividends in the danger zone? With double-digit yields on offer on several FTSE 100 stocks, we examine if they're too good to be true. Struggling to complete your annual UK tax return before Monday's deadline? Well, in future, the revenue's new digital system could know what you owe. We find out how. And is the roof about to cave in on buy-to-let investors? We debate the likely impact of April's tougher tax rules. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Claire Barrett and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with the help of my FT Money colleagues James Pickford and Adam Palin, plus our special studio guest, Micah Curry, author of our Income Investor column and Investment Director at Fidelity International. Recent years have not been kind to investors seeking income, so while the emergence of double-digit dividend yields, yes, you did hear me correctly, in the blue-chip FTSE 100 index could be seen as a welcome surprise, in reality, it's nothing to celebrate. I'm joined now in the FT studio by Micah Curry, FT Money Columnist and Investment Director at Fidelity International. Micah, thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Claire. Your column this week is all about the extraordinary dividend yields on offer on some of the stocks in the FTSE 100. Firstly, tempt us with the highest ones. Well, the numbers really are staggering. Right at the top of the table of top yielders, we've got Anglo-American. The yield is at 26%. (gasps) Followed by Glencore at 15%, BHP Billiton 13%, and Standard Chartered at 12%. Now, the average yield on the FTSE 100 is just about at 4%. Still pretty high. It is high, but double-digit figures and the amber lights should start flashing. Why do you think investors should be worried about trusting these numbers? Well, the first thing to remember is that if a share's dividend yield looks too good to be true, you should be careful, especially considering that dividend cover, which is a key metric for income investors, and that is the relationship of dividends to the profits from which they are paid, is at its lowest level in six years. And on Monday this week, we had Capita publish its latest dividend report, and it predicts the first decline in dividends since 2010. Now, this is largely due to key reasons, and that is because the FTSE 100 is so heavily weighted towards the mining and commodity companies. They're the ones where you've just demonstrated those dividend yields are at their highest yes. because so the share prices Exactly. Have so those collapsed. are the names, and we've already seen some cuts. We've seen cuts from the likes of Anglo, Glencore. Standard Chartered, even the utility companies, Centrica, which is supposed to be very rock-solid dividends, Mm. they've also had a cut. So investors really need to go through this list, scrutinize this list, because a lot of people will be exposed to these largest companies. We know that within the FTSE 100, 
It's only a few companies that pay the lion's share of dividends. And if the market is effectively pricing in a dividend cut on these higher yielding shares, in some cases, could the dividends even be maintained? Now that is a very good question, and that's where things get interesting. Now let's work our way through the list. We start with the miners. Proceed with caution. The miners have benefited from China's insatiable appetite for commodities. That is changing. The Chinese economy is at an inflection point. It's moving from an infrastructure, capital spending intensive economy. So we're not going to see the same amount of consumption, and that will continue weighing on the miners. Oil. The story is a little bit different. There's an elasticity of demand.、Mm. So already in developing nations, people are using cars more often, and we're also using our cars more as we see the prices fall at the petrol pumps. The blue chip companies, BP and Shell, quite timely with Shell BG vote this week. Yeah, their balance sheets are in quite a robust position, and they could ride out the storm for the next two years or so. So those could be quite attractive dividends. And then we've got HSBC, where there's a question mark, Pearson, and Aberdeen Asset Management. Now let's start with HSBC. The yield there is at seven percent. Now will they? Won't they? I think HSBC is in a better situation that's as Standard Chartered. They also exposed to Asia, but they were more prudent in、mm. their lending practices. And HSBC also has a more diverse operation, so that we could see that dividend come through. Question marks over Pearson. Pearson is very focused on maintaining its investment grade status. Lots of questions around the restructuring, and then of course Aberdeen is very exposed to emerging markets. So another question mark there. Thanks very much. That was Micah Curry, our income investor columnist. You can read her full column online now at ft.com/money, complete with a full table of all of the highest yielding FTSE 100 shares, or pick up a copy of FT Money this weekend. Still to come on the show. Are you finding your tax return a little too、mm, taxing? Before that, April's harsher tax treatment of second properties could prompt many amateur landlords to wave bye-bye to buy-to-let. James Pickford, deputy editor of FT Money, has been exploring how changes to stamp duty and the tax allowances that landlords can claim from April could affect its future and the health of the property market more generally. James, thanks for joining us today. What's the government doing to rein in buy-to-let, and how is the market reacting? Well, it's, it's going to be big changes from April. There are three main changes coming in. The first, which was announced in the summer budget、um, last year, was the reduction in the amount of mortgage interest tax relief that buy-to-let landlords can claim. And previously, it could have been up to forty-five percent if you're an additional tax rate payer. This will be reduced to a maximum of twenty percent basic rate. They're also tightening up the wear and tear allowance that used to just be you could literally claim ten percent, just, put it, just、yeah. put it in, and now you can only claim for the things that you do, the furniture that you replace, or the, the fittings you improve, and so forth. Not only that, but the Bank of England, separate from the Treasury, is looking at taking up new powers on limiting the the amount of loan you can take out relative to the, the value of the property, and that was was all sort of happening in the middle of last year, and then the Chancellor. In the autumn statement, hit landlords again with the new stamp duty surcharge of three percentage points on second homes, and that's on top of the stamp duty they would already be paying. On top of a stamp duty that had already risen substantially in recent years, so they can be forgiven for thinking that there is a bit of an assault on the sector at the moment. And indeed, the, the government and, and the Bank of, of England have admitted that they're worried about the growth of the sector, and they want to rein it in. So, in terms of how the market's reacting. 
if April is the deadline, the quite pertinent deadline for escaping the hike in stamp duty, has that prompted a big rush to do deals from estate agents? This is, in fact, what agents are saying. There's a bit of a stampede to get in there before the April deadline. That's either on deals that were already in train, so people are speeding up Mm. those deals, or just you know, trying to get things through whatever kind of thing it is. And, and that affects not only people who are just think of themselves as in buy to let, but obviously if you are selling a, a house to someone for whom it's going to be a second home, they will want you to do that before April. They're going to be so, on your tail. So they, are on, they are putting pressure on people that have nothing to do with it in order to, to get in before April. And you know, generally brokers and, and agents and, and people in the market are saying that they expect there to be this rush to buy. Then there'll be a tail off in transactions and so forth. After which, in, in summer, they expect it to sort of stabilise again as people absorb these new changes and you know, the market returns to normal. But what they are also reporting is that people selling now mm. are adding a little bit on because they think, oh, well, people are keen to get in before April. So I say the market will take a bit more. But they equally, they might expect vendors to give a bit away after April because, mm. because buyers will say, well, I'm looking at an extra three percentage points on this. What can you do for me? Interesting. And some house price statistics that were out this morning appear to sort of be bearing that theory out. But what about the details of how this stamp duty surcharge will work? Are all the details completely finalised? Well, no, because the government is under consultation, this, this thing. It's been fairly quickly done. It was announced in, in the autumn statement. And uh, it's the details are due to be announced in the budget in March, mid-March. So at the moment, it's, it's under consultation. And while, you know, the, the basic principles have been laid out, there are questions about exemptions. Now, the government wants to encourage large-scale professional landlords to build more homes. They think that they can get better scale of house building through those kinds of landlords. And so it wants to exempt them from this stamp duty surcharge. But where does it draw that line. And at the moment, they're saying 15 houses. You know, if you own 15 uh, buy-to-let properties, you count as a professional. But the question they're asking is, well, if you're buying 15 in bulk, or is it if you already own 15? And they haven't quite ironed that out. That's one of the questions they want people to give evidence on. And there are others too. Well, you can read James Pickford's full piece online now on ft.com slash money. And we'll keep following this story in the lead up to the budget. Now, you only have a few days left to complete your annual tax return online, if you have not done so already. So stop procrastinating and listening to this podcast. Just go and get on with it. Seriously, if you are drowning in paperwork, then perhaps the thought of a digital tax return could appeal to you. I'm joined by Adam Palin, FT Money reporter, who's been delving into the digital details. Adam, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Claire. HMRC, they're working towards the goal of digital tax accounts for all by 2020. Could these really herald the end of the tax return as we've come to know and love? Yes, in a word. It's actually really exciting in the tax world. Now, it's all relative. I I should uh, put this in context. It's not not for everything that tax professionals and accountants get desperately excited. But the potential of this initiative which isn't just off the cuff. This has been a long time in planning. Mm. They see there's great potential in us all having a digital relationship with the revenue and information not only flowing directly to the tax authority, but being kept there to save you having to fill in the same thing over and over again. That's the promise. 
but the detail will be the challenge. Now, the concept of the tax authorities knowing what I owe them rather than me telling them what I owe them is one that is, frankly, slightly troubling. What new digital tools will they use to find out what we owe before we pay? How will it all work? Well, there's a lot of emphasis placed on the role of apps, which we use for all manner of things. But let's say, Claire, not only are you a successful journalist, but you're a successful landlord and eBay trader, and you rent out your your spare bedrooms to people via Airbnb. Not far off the truth. (laughs) (laughs) You have an app for each, let's say, and... It it will tell you how much money you've earned in a given tax period. You can review what that is and it will pass on the information with your consent directly to HMRC. Now, the apps will be designed using software that's compatible with HMRC's own systems. And they've They've, released all of that onto the market. They've shared their codes already and they're actively encouraging software developers to to just go for it. This is an aspect of the initiative that I understand from a technical point of view isn't that challenging. Perhaps the the difficulty comes with how we deal with this and how we respond to it, given perhaps our our natural inclination to be sceptical about technology working, or indeed having a a, a tax return that's pre-populated with all this information that HMRC has collected directly, automatically from various third parties, could also be from your share portfolio or your bank account and your, your building society yep, interest and so forth. Interest, dividends. You exactly. Know there is this this concern of accountants that we will see these pre-populated returns and we'll just assume that the information's correct. We won't interrogate it. We'll sign off on it instead of signing, just yeah, hitting click send. Click the button. Yeah. And we won't think about it again. But actually, this could cost taxpayers money. That, that's the concern. So what other concerns have readers and tax advisors raised with you about the changes that we're going to see over the next four years? Well, setting aside the, the concerns of accountants who are obviously looking at this in a lot of detail, those who are particularly animated about it are the self-employed and landlords indeed who are faced with the prospect of having to file information or sign off on information a lot more regularly than they currently do. There was in fact a petition that was signed by over 100,000 people this month prompting a debate in Parliament this week on the 25th of January and it was forcing in the debate on the issue of what's referred to as quarterly reporting. What HMRC is very keen to emphasise is that this is not four tax returns a year, as the self-employed and, and landlords are concerned, remain concerned, that this will involve a lot more compliance, a lot more paperwork and a lot more cost, ultimately, either in terms of time or accountancy fees than is currently the case. But, but HMRC is saying, well, look, this is just a matter of us collecting information more regularly and automatically. You just need to say that it's right. Okay, well, thanks very much there to Adam Palin, FT Money reporter. You can read his full cover feature in FT Money about this very issue this weekend, if you're not too busy doing your own tax return, of course. We'd love to know what you think about HMRC and their plans to kill off the tax return, your views on the future of buy-to-let or about money matters more generally. You can get in touch with us via email, our address, money at ft.com, or you can tweet us at FT Money. And you can leave comments at the foot of individual articles on our website at ft.com slash money. There is just time to tell you what else will feature in this weekend's issue. We reveal the investment tips that our small caps columnist Lord John Lee gave to more than 200 money readers at a special event this week. And as usual, we have the latest share tips and directors deals from the Investors Chronicle. 
The Money Show was produced and edited in London by Adam Palin and Naomi Rovnik. We will be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.